0: Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all.
1: I'm and keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Life in Beth and Gerard Carmichael's "Rothaniel," a TV show and a comedy special that explores the effects of secrets within families.
0: Once again, like we are somewhat somehow on the same wavelength in our yeah. picks.
1: We love harmony over here.
0: Yeah, unintentionally or intentionally.
1: How's your week been, babe? My week has been okay. Same old, same old. Oh, so you didn't go through the tiresome discourse circus of the week. (laughs) You just completely didn't engage in any of that, no? Unfortunately, I was
0: forced to engage with it somewhat through work. Everything that happened with the slap, capital T, capital S, that is like extremely the type of thing that uh, my workplace would choose to cover. (laughs) And so, and so we did, I believe, in in several installments. Um but yeah, for me personally, I was just like I, I need to like bow out of this. I yeah. Don't need to weigh in on anything. I don't need to have any opinions that I air publicly. There's yeah. just like it's for such a like a simple act uh, or action, there are just so many like so much thorniness to it. So Yeah. I don't it know. It takes it takes
1: <laughs> a, it takes a lot to shock people nowadays. And the, I think the main thing for me was just observing everybody's behaviors. Yeah. As a collective.
0: Yeah, um, that, that, I guess, is the fascinating. kind of revealing part. Yeah. Um, what
1: it reveals, what? we will not get into it, but... What it reveals is that I'm fucking tired of everybody, dude. I, I'm ready to, like, move away and raise chickens and all that shit. So if anybody so- has a plot of land that they would like to give <laughs> me, let me know. How was your week otherwise, Fallon? My week otherwise has been alright. Mm-hmm. I, uh... I've just honestly like we've been introducing a lot of TV shows into our repertoire this week because a lot of shows have come back or they're in the swing of the early days of their of the season. Mm. So getting stuck into those, just patiently waiting and seeing and collecting my thoughts, you know, doing my little critic thing.
0: Yeah, we're still Um, kind of like in incubatory phase with like a lot of these.
1: Yeah, um yeah not quite enough to, to cover them yet but maybe in a while in the meantime though for this week mm-hmm. what are you done incubating what are you done percolating <laughs> with and would like to express your thoughts on hand yes
0: uh for me it's life and beth which is on hulu this is amy schumer's new dramedy series which uh so far it's just in season one there are 10 half hour episodes and i'm not sure if there's gonna be like further seasons but tbd mm. i guess tbd yeah, yeah. so in this uh, amy schumer she stars as beth a nearly 40 year old woman in new york going through kind of a, a crisis or a change in her life so she breaks up with her longtime boyfriend her mother dies and that's not a big spoiler i swear because it's right in the first episode uh yeah. she temporarily moves back to her hometown in long island she meets another guy, this vineyard groundsman played by Michael Sarah. She reconnects with old friends. And all the meanwhile, she's like coming to terms with certain things that happened in her childhood and her family life. Mm. Uh, yeah. So this is Amy Schumer's first TV series since Inside Amy Schumer, which I didn't watch. I also haven't seen Trainwreck or mm. any of her stand-up or... Honestly, like any her first off, since she became... I mean, she had a really huge moment in culture in, I'd say, the early to mid-2010s. Yeah. And then, of course, that attracted, like... Uh, it was kind of like, a, there's backlash surrounding that, too, and, like, rightful criticism. And uh, I don't know. I just... None of it was really in my orbit beyond just awareness of things that were happening. Yeah. And so, since that big sort of breakthrough moment she has continued to work you know she's been doing some more serious stuff like she was in the humans uh the film last year Mm -hmm. but life and beth seems to be as like a lot of critics and journalists describing it it seems to be kind of like a a comeback for her in a sense of a reintroduction or some kind of like reorientation of her herself and like her public persona and her history so if you are like an amy schumer head like this is probably like gonna be considered a milestone sort of thing um,
1: yeah i mean I, I i don't think i could call myself an amy schumer fan it's no offense to her mm-hmm. or any of her fans it's just i wasn't really interested yeah um, me neither yeah and i, I d- certainly when she was in her peak i wasn't interested in the type of comedy she was offering it was like really not for me mm-hmm. um so i was just like not engaging i did watch train wreck mm-hmm. uh that was a jet Haram- film yeah and like I love Bill Hader and he's in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've also seen her HBO three-part documentary about her pregnancy.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. which
1: terrified the shit out of me. Uh mm. definitely was like might not ever get pregnant. Thank you so much. Um <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the extent of it and this is like the first time Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen any of her old TV stuff. This is like the first TV show that I've seen of hers.
0: Yeah. And I'll say, like, several things in this show are supposed to be informed by Schumer's own life. So it's kind mm-hmm. of – it's not autobiographical, but it's maybe uh, very – a lot of it is, is borrowed from, from reality. So mm-hmm. the thing where, like, you know, the family experiences a sort of downturn in fortune after a father, you know, loses his business. Um, the reality of, like, living up, living in New York, growing up in Long Island – uh, having a younger sister, you know, being Jewish, dating someone who is on the autism spectrum—all uh, mm-hmm. those are sort of taken or inspired from uh, Amy Schumer's own life. So yes, it is supposed yes. to be a very personal kind of thing, a more grown-up kind of thing. I'll say, I'll, I'll start up by saying I was kind of surprised by the show. Yeah. Um, what about you, Pelan? How far are you in it?
1: I'm a halfway through, so I'm I just finished episode five.
0: Mm, okay. Um,
1: I'm surprised that you picked this. Yeah. <laughs> but I am also, I think especially the first couple of episodes are so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely like one of the best openers of a pilot, like the, that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just hilarious. Um, but yeah, it's really not uh, like my aversion to it was a little bit judgmental. So
0: yeah, I mean, it's I get it. I don't think I was ever going to watch this either. Just because I was like, uh, Amy Schumer, you know, Never really got into her, never really I don't know if I really care to do it, but I have been hearing like from, you know, some critical reception and other things. I've been hearing that Life and Beth is actually surprisingly that's what most people are saying. They're like, Oh, surprisingly it's actually, you know, not bad or like pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what sort of drew me to this. Um what I like about the show, what I ended up liking is that it is introspective in a way that I didn't expect mm. from my own preconceived notions of <laughs> Amy Schumer. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is kind of a strange genre or tonal dissonance going on. So part of it mm. is very much like a broad city type or like a the other two type of millennial comedy with dry humor. Mm-hmm. And like you're rolling your eyes along with Beth at the ridiculousness of life and strange circumstances and annoying characters that is a very much like a, a big part of i think the earlier episodes in particular yeah. like the ones that are quite funny and then the other part of the show which kind of awkwardly sits alongside it is this very melancholy reflection on growing up and having complicated uh familial relationships yeah. or other relationships and also this kind of languid like boredom of growing up in the suburbs mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Long Island or you know wherever anyone who grew up in a suburb can probably relate in some sense yeah so how did how did you feel about these two different like tones and genres kind of like intermingling and some of the whiplash maybe even from having it flip so quickly from one between one and the other
1: I think it had a much more clear idea of how to switch back and forth between that but the more I watch it, the more I feel like it kind of struggles to bounce. But, but on, honestly, because of the directing style mm. of both of these tones, yeah. whenever she is, you know, sad, remembering, you know, there's there's some really great devices used, um, like just some great instances of like pre-lap of yeah. being, you know, b- between memories and like her currency, especially when she's yeah. in her mother's house. Like I, I think they're amazing. But... Yeah, I, I I think there were there were just instances where it shifts uh, a little bit too abruptly. Yeah. Like I think in episode five, um, her and Michael Syrah's character—spoiler alert—they have sex outside of a <clears throat> what she thought was an empty house, and then it's all giggly and fun, and then it just ends up being like she ends up having a bit of a, a an emotional breakdown in front of him about yeah. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I get it because it is. It does feel like that when you're when you're ever in instances like that where you're suddenly like, wait, what's going on? It does feel like jarring, but um, for the most part, it didn't bother me that much. I just think it's like I, I feel like maybe it would have been a little bit better, and I think it's always hard with comedians to find that balance because they blur so much in terms of yeah. how you find material, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think in terms of, like, what stuck out to me the most, I think what got the most tiring for me, it was it was the discrepancy between the two and the way that they just kind of felt a little bit awkwardly sitting next to each other, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It made it feel a little bit uneven, uh, quite jarring, as you said. Like, yeah, I'm thinking of that scene that you're just describing and another scene like that that comes a little bit later in the series. And I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to show how quickly, like, uh Beth's character, her previous hangups, her traumas like related to how she grew up, her mistrust of people, like those can flare up so quickly, but mm-hmm. it's just so uh unpleasant to watch in a sense and can a little bit confusing and startling and uh as startled as I guess Michael Sarah's character John is supposed
1: to feel too. Yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I will say, like, between these two different tones, I think I ended up preferring the more serious, sadder side of it more. Me too. <laughs> okay, great. We are suckers for yeah. some complicated childhood, family relationship, mother-daughter things. Always. Always.
1: Always. always. This is our bag, yeah. man. Like I feel like I'm enjoying how she is just ignoring all of it at the same time. Like we're being shown it. We're given context of mm-hmm. the sad shit as as an audience because she's a little bit like hard to crack and i yeah. do think it, it, it the way that it, all of those scenes all those sad scenes those like heartbreaking scenes it feels very true um yeah there's specificity in it i think yes. that feels like it, like it, it certainly feels like this is memory more than it is just plot does that make sense yeah so totally yeah.
0: like they form this bigger picture of what it was like to be her to grow up in that time and place to have those that kind of family and those kind of parents and those kind of friendships and relationships they kind of inform the plot slightly but they're more of sort of undergirding everything they're an explanation for why things are the way they are and why she is the way she is yeah i really like that and i'll say also (laughs) i know I i feel like i've talked about you know, suburbia blues before, but it really captures, I think a very specific kind of, uh, just like melancholy and boredom of growing up in the suburbs. Like you have these, these random kids hanging around, doing nothing. You have, uh, you know, going to the mall with a parent and especially when her parents' relationship basically degrades her, her dad, uh, loses his business. He moves out. He is drinking more, And you see the, I thought it was really, it was really heartbreaking. It was really sad and very specific also. Like, okay, this dad who basically has no money and takes the bus to see them, who is basically at the lowest point of his life um, so Mm -hmm. far Mm -hmm. in in the mall, in the shop, uh, looking at dresses with his daughter, like, you see how he, sort of deflects he wants to steer her away from a more expensive dress
1: mm-hmm. and
0: beth's character as a young you know 14 year old girl she sees that too she's old enough to catch that yeah and so she puts a dress down herself and is like let's let's go eat let's go let's yeah. go get some lunch and their lunch is just like free samples picked off of the mall food court yeah. yeah um yeah which is like very i don't know it feels like a real authentic like emotionally authentic well, uh, yeah. experience
1: because it's 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 there's truth in that like yeah you start to you reach a point in your age where you start to realize that uh it's on you to look after your parents a little bit yes yes and that first kind of transition into that stage of your life it, yeah it usually comes around the time when you're 13 14 um especially if you have a younger sibling (laughs) like um you become their protector as well it's it's very true i also loved like don't get me wrong like as i was watching this i was like i know why jenny loves this it's like (laughs) it's proper slice of life shit Um, yeah i do like a slice of life you do love a slice of life but relating back to the suburbia thing the the thing the part that cracked me up was when they were like they're at the club and they're like, "We should go home." And then someone goes, "I think Nordstrom Rack is still open." Oh yeah! <laughs> and then it cuts to them in Nordstrom Rack. Well, that was
0: a great it's moment. So um, and like nothing, nothing really like served plot wise. No, it it's really, just it really it just adds to the the texture, the experience, yeah. and the comedy yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, I did not grow up in the su- in the suburbs, but every time I go back to my in laws, we we do oh like my whole f- yeah I you fucking experience love it. a mall visit. Any and all hours, <laughs> bitch. More she, fucking love malls. The so best thing to come out of American late stage capitalism.
0: I l- also like the this what they did with um the mom because that's mm. also very important to uh, Beth's upbringing and how she processes things and how she has relationships right now. Yeah. I wish that the mom had stayed alive longer I in know. the current iteration. Yeah, I get why they killed her off so quickly because it sort of had to set into motion like all these events that came after her. but yeah. it just it seemed like a shame that something that is probably the heart of uh, a lot of her trauma or her issues yeah it's taken away it's, we, we don't really get to spend any time with it in the current age well here's
1: the thing all right so usually when you're writing a tv pilot the end of your pilot basically means the beginning of the series
0: like, yeah, a very it's like last
1: the ins- scene. Yeah. Inciting it's- incident. Yeah. Well, beyond the inciting, it's like, this is my life now. And yeah. I get it because, like, the last scene of the pilot is when she finds out that her mother has died. But my gripe with it was that, mm-hmm. um, it's very not like her relationship with her mother. Like, she doesn't really deal with it. Like, I think episode two, you kind of get the background with through the flashbacks, mm-hmm. but there's no specificity in her and her mother. It's more about, the house and it's more about her uh, teenage years and it's like she doesn't really get around to it until yeah episode five with that scene that i was talking about because she's like i can't turn out like my mother she hasn't mentioned her mother she also hasn't don't get me wrong it's part of her whole character that she doesn't um cry about her mother or doesn't talk about her mother like we get it but like five episodes where she doesn't deal with her mother's death really like, no, it, I totally, agree. I, I just, I, it, there was just something off with that, including her sister, too. I think that was my, like, I, I didn't understand what their mother really, the significance of her was for either one of her daughters. Yeah. For like at least, yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch episode six onwards. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, like up until now, I'm just like, can we, are we not going to circle back to her mom, like at all? Like her dead Again, yeah. because I was led to believe that so much of her life was rooted around her mother. Like the pilot really, drove that home so
0: i i extremely agree that is one of the the weaknesses i think also it so these childhood flashbacks these ties back to their past are so important but it really takes a while to work up to them and to yeah gather enough to accumulate enough for there to be any significance so it they really don't start showing all their hand until episode five episode six episode seven Mm -hmm. yeah and i kind of get Maybe what they're going for—they wanted to slowly build it up, slow reveal, accumulation—but it just takes too long for a TV series that is only ten episodes long. Like I, I'm able to appreciate what happened because I'm looking at at it now from the perspective of someone who watched all the episodes, but. I can see like definitely some people would probably just quit before they get to that point because it is too long to ask yeah. the viewer to to wait that long to get to the meat of it. Yeah. And there isn't like some very good resolution either. I'll say looking at the how this series ended out, like she mm. doesn't really grapple with things in a more emotional level mm. or uh, a deeper like psychological level. Right. The end is kind of a happy ending, but it seems a little bit more surface level like Mm. some of the very persistent issues are not really addressed by her and maybe they're gonna save that for a future season you can i can never really tell which is something i hate about these like one season shows that that i no one knows if they're gonna get a season two or not yeah um but yeah so you may be a little bit disappointed uh, as i was by how some of this pans out also but overall i think there are definitely some issues especially like uh structurally direction wise and even writing wise Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but i did really appreciate the real flashes of thoughtfulness and emotion which again i was surprised by uh, as this is sort of a, a vehicle for this kind of thing and now speaking of using comedy to get into serious issues. Uh What did you watch this week, Pellen?
1: So this week I watched Gerard Carmichael's latest comedy special, or Gerard, as I like to call his British twin that <laughs> lives lives in England. Now, are you familiar with Gerard Carmichael as a comedian? No,
0: I don't know if this
1: is an on-brand
0: or surprising about me, but I basically don't really watch any stand-up any comedy specials i don't really follow any comedians in particular Mm. so i definitely had heard of the carmichael show but i just like wasn't really aware of gerard carmichael as a comedian as a performer or yeah any specifics about him
1: yeah so i'm also i know of him i've known of him i think comedy specials you have to catch me at the right moment for me to watch one Mm. Like, you know, whoever, whoever I personally like, I'll, I'll watch it. It's fine. But like, you'll never catch me talking about it. So, this is a rare occurrence. <laughs> um, I think the last time we actually did this was probably Bo Burnham's film. Yes, yes. Um, so, speaking of Bo Burnham, he actually directed this comedy special. It's the second comedy special of Carmichael's that Bo Burnham has directed. Mm. Um, he did his previous one as well. Uh, but this is on HBO. It's a smooth 55 minutes.
0: Yeah, I, so I appreciated that.
1: <laughs> you love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think it's like worth going into this cold if you're not a Carmichael fan. Um, mm-hmm. well, or don't really know much about him. I think this is a good primer. So what were your, what were your takeaway thoughts on this comedy special?
0: Well, without having any like prior knowledge about Carmichael as, as a person or performer or like his style, I was struck by how, what a good storyteller he is. Yeah. Um, like the feeling of this is. Much less what I would expect uh, from, like, you know, a stand up set, a, a stand up yeah. comedy special. Like, someone's literally standing up, riffing on yeah. jokes, like punchlines, everything. This is, it was much more intimate. He was seated. He was talking to his audience. He wanted them to engage with him. He was almost telling the story of himself and his family yeah. in a way that often wasn't even very funny. Like, there are whole stretches of moments without a single laugh because he wasn't telling a joke. He was just telling his story. Yeah. And then he would come with a punchline and, you know, that would
1: would provoke laughter. But, yeah,
0: yeah, it felt like a much more intimate form of uh, personal storytelling, in a sense.
1: Yeah, and not to uh, project, but I think this guy has a lot of British sensibilities. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tell me more, tell me more. I don't know what that means in terms of comedy. Well, it's like... You find the laughter in the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I know that that's just like a universal comedy rule. And it's like depressing things are right next to hilarious things. They are mm. siblings, if not cousins in the comedy world. <laughs> I get it. But I, ju- I just think that his delivery, like his dryness. Mm. Um, but you're right. It is, it is very, very intimate. Like they, they shot this at the Blue Note Jazz Club in New York. Mm. Uh, shout out to Bo Burnham. Uh, very good job. <laughs> Correcting this I would say mm-hmm. um, it starts off very like Carol-esque where it's like snowing yeah, there's yeah. soft lights and but yeah it's, it certainly is not your Netflix comedy special like mm-hmm. he is at the same level as his audience mm-hmm. um, and he is surrounded by them like there's literally like someone I, I would say like one feet in front of him mm-hmm. he's on a stool uh, I think Bo Burnham did a good job with lighting him in mm-hmm. terms of like making him seem I think it was uh, Catherine Van Arendonk who said that it was like he was under a microscope for the second half of it. Mm-hmm. I agree, but I also think it was trying to communicate like isolation mm-hmm. um, or feeling lonely, and I think it did a good—he good, he did a good job of, of doing that. The main reason why I wanted to talk to you about this because the headline for for this comedy yes, special, yes. and Carmichael just was on SNL and he mentioned it in his monologue. He comes out. In the yeah. special, mm-hmm. like halfway through his set, he comes out to mm-hmm. his audience and obviously to the rest of the world because he he was closeted before. Like we had no real inkling. What do you what do you make of that? What do you make of somebody revealing something about themselves like this, like so publicly mm-hmm. and in such a like yeah, sure intimate setting? But the way that well... HBO is is kind of. I guess marketing it is that yeah, yeah. This, this is the one where Carmichael comes out.
0: I'll say, purely from a pragmatic point of view, it's a very smart decision to do this like this in a in a special that will be, you know, streamed released instead of in just like a an Instagram post or a public statement or something. Like mm. this makes people want to watch. It makes people. It yeah. grabs the headlines. Yeah. It directs people's attention towards the actual work itself uh and then you know they tune in they they check it out it purely speaking business wise uh i think it's a very good decision to do that Yeah, Um, yeah but as a personal decision i don't know it's interesting because it is both very intimate as you said for you know a comedy show it's in this very intimate setting but also you're you kind of have the consciousness that it is going to be broadcast the entire world yeah so it's both intimate but also extremely not
1: yes and in, if you think about headlines or statements uh, where people have come out mm-hmm. um especially in recent years when it is i guess more acceptable in society mm-hmm. as it was as opposed to like i don't know like 15 20 years ago like ellen's mm-hmm. time for example mm-hmm. um degenerate just in case anybody was <laughs> uh confused um <laughs> you usually just get the statement and then that's kind of it um so it was fascinating for this you know quote unquote reveal to come halfway through because we still had the other half of the set to go through so Mm -hmm. what i think like i agree that it was a smart marketing decision but i think what it's especially smart at is basically making you watch something because it's fascinating to you just watching somebody come out Mm -hmm. uh as a is, process. Is, yeah, as a process and as like an observer. But then it grabs you in because it's already built up something for in the yeah. first half. And then the second half is the breakdown, essentially. Not that he's yeah. breaking down, but just the breakdown of the themes of what it is that he actually wants to communicate, which mm-hmm. is that this is deeply personal to him in relation mm-hmm. to his family, in relation to his friends. And he really does a great job of showcasing how messy something like this can be. Like, people, I think a lot of people might be like, yeah, you came out, so what? You know, who cares? It's not that big of a deal, especially as, like, a cis man. But for him, it isn't that simple. I think for a lot of people, it isn't that simple. And I think...
0: Yeah, there's a lot of emotional weight to it. And whether, yeah. you know, as, I guess, I don't want to say, like, as normalized or as, like, um more socially mainstream, like, acceptable as it has become yeah uh, there's yeah. still like a lot that goes into it as a personal decision like you you actually don't know how a lot of your yeah. family will react or how your friends react or your circle or him as a performer how his, his fan base will react like he yeah. says to so himself yeah. um and i thought the moments especially like right after he actually said like i'm gay and then as he's sort of parsing the audience's reaction and their you know their cheers their scattered applause their there are people who are encouraging him and, and they are all women and they're saying like we love you yeah. and he's like sort of figuring out how to accept and process that kind of exactly. reaction as well. Yeah. I thought those are very I very interesting moments. Um very yeah. revealing into like
1: the there's kind like of a tension. There. Yeah, yeah the, the tension there's like between a weird like, formality in it. Exactly yeah. and yeah.
0: how you know you're supposed to react publicly versus how actually personally what is that what does that feel what like? yeah what does that feel like and what is the yeah. difference between those two
1: yeah I think the thing that has an everlasting effect on me mm-hmm. is the way that this reveal whether or not we are instantly aware of it but once you think about it he's basically trying to say this is about familial secrets this is yeah. about burden this mm-hmm. is about navigating relationships when a secret that big comes out yeah and i don't know about you but for me the way that he went into his relationship with his mother yeah um, yeah throughout the hour like the pre to the post reveal yeah i mean like talk about fucking shot to the an heart. open audience yeah. therapy session
0: <laughs> yeah like
1: just I- heartbreaking dude i know like,
0: like we we always say this every single time we're big mothers girls we love to to think about this and and to feel this and to talk about this but yeah he captured like so much like the way he tries so hard to to shield his mother and just wants to protect her he says like she's she's his best friend she he really her well-being and her happiness are of the utmost importance to him and then in yeah. the second half, of course, it the, it's the question of, like, does his truth, his coming out, that actually, like, does that actually maybe affect her well-being and her happiness? And how she yeah. feels about him and how potentially she's never going to get over it. And that is yeah. what is the most heartbreaking thing about it for him.
1: Yeah. And the way that now she has shut off a part of herself yeah. from him. Mm-hmm. Which never obviously never happened before. And it haunts him because he knows that, because he has that trait of being cold. Mm. Um and and show and like the when he said like I wish she would just show hate, like I wish she would like kick me out or say that she was never gonna talk to me again, at least that's something. Mm. Um I, I I think the thing that some people are trying to figure out in terms of the critics is the performance element of this. Right. Because it is a performance when it comes down to it. Like it is, yeah. but It's so deeply personal. So deeply personal. Like, from the first half into the second half, especially the second, because the first half does feel like a more conventional... Yeah. He has material. Yes. And he's working through his material. And then he says he's gay, and then it just kind of, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, like, it kind of breaks down from that format. And it turns into a lot of pauses from him, a lot of thinking, a lot of head-scratching, like, he's, like, bearing. Yeah, like, his his head is in his hands, like, half the time. Mm-hmm. And he admits as much. He's like, I really didn't have anything planned for after this. Like, so this is, we're just going through it. And I'm trying to make jokes, but, you know.
0: Yeah, and, like, at least, you know, five, ten minutes of it is him answering questions from his audience directly. Like, they, yeah. or they they comment on things, they encourage him, they'll be like, you know, give your mom some time. And he has to then react to that. So it is a performance, but it's also, it seems at least, like, quite real
1: and improvised in a sense uh, the way that he's saying and i think i I think the performance aspect of it is besides the point like i think you can look at it from a cynical angle where it's like oh is he like content mining his own life is he trying to like you know catapult himself into a different level of fame using this coming out story and like using his family and using his mother even to get him there
0: but that's that's what all comedy and I mean like any, create, any like, creative work yeah like any creative work yeah. whether it's yeah. um you know personal essays like or, or you're David Sedaris you're writing essays and books or memoirs or yeah or Amy Schumer like even if it's not strictly you know autobiographical or non-fictional it's a fictional work all of yeah. those elements are things that presumably that you draw from your life and what you know because that is often not always but often like how you get the most heartfelt and
1: i think deeply reflective work i mean good art is specific and in its specificity it becomes universal right yeah. i think we've said this before it's just like i think with this comedy special it's besides the point whether or not he was trying to use anyone anybody for anything because i think it's true to him mm-hmm. and i think it's true for a lot of people you might not have come out as gay to your mother, but you might have told her something that shifted your relationship forever. And then how do you grapple with that? You know, how mm-hmm. do, how do you deal with this newfound dynamic between two people that I guess are, are some of the most intimate, like the most intimate relationship you're going to have in your life is probably between your mother, if you're close, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, that's the smartness of this. You know, like I think Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, was a huge turning point for how people see comedy specials and comedy in general and it created this like you know what does it mean uh to to not make people laugh but to kind of be funny and also have a message or be funny and also say something incredibly true that isn't funny uh, and i think this is another this can kind of join that nanette conversation mm. i think there's like a great vulture piece that we can link into the sub stack about like what does a post-comedy world look like like are we post-comedy mm-hmm. i think the term post-comedy is a little bit like all right that's a reach but i get the i get the question that it's asking but yeah i mean i certainly did laugh a lot and in, in the first half of it and i think like The biggest strength of this is the way that it feels like, as you mentioned, it's like storytelling. And even this whole like personal comedy angle that he's going for is so specific to him. It's truly like fantastic. I think this is like one of the best comedy specials that I've seen in a really, really long time. And it's trying to do something that I think is bigger than itself. And I think just to kind of leave off, uh, in terms of like why I think you should watch it, the fact that at the end there's no real resolution is the strongest part of this mm. because that's, that's what these relationships are like, like between family. It's heartbreaking, but there's the truth in that. Again, I feel like comedy is truth and <laughs> this is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: today in culture notes, we are going to briefly talk about bruce willis and some of his favorite work or some of our favorite work of his throughout the years so bruce willis yeah. if, if you don't know it was recently announced uh, by his family that he is going to be retiring from acting because he has uh, a condition called aphasia basically it's a cognitive disorder it affects his ability to communicate, like memory lapses. Uh, often, it occurs in people who have had strokes. Basically, it makes it makes it impossible for him to, you know, film movies any longer, have practice lines, like be able to be yeah. on set, all these kind of things. So he is no longer going to be acting, and it's quite sad because uh, apparently, according to a recent LA Times article, like it's been kind of an open secret among. People have worked with him on on his films that he's basically exhibited signs of this kind of cognitive decline uh, for years now, and mm-hmm. you know people have been concerned about his well being the whole time, and uh, but he's continued to pump out movies, and this sort of brings a new understanding to kind of the I guess the running joke that he keeps winning Razzies because everything he's been doing the past few years. are like to direct to video sort of shit mm-hmm. films um yeah. so this kind of brings a new understanding to that and yeah it's
1: quite sad <laughs> it's incredibly sad i think like the main upsetting thing about this entire like new cycle that's going on with him is like you know for for people like jenny and i f- like for many people for many many millions of people around the world like we grew up with bruce willis mm-hmm. he Ha- has always been the shrewd action star yeah and i think like for the most part i'm gu- guilty of it i kind of forgot like he he just kind of stayed in my mind's eye of like from a moment in time yeah yeah and i think i didn't even realize that he was making director video films right so then when this was kind of revealed, I was like, oh, that's what he's been doing. Like, I had no idea. I didn't know the whole Razzie's thing. And it just it's just really sad because I think Nick Cage talked about doing direct-to-video movies. And it, for him, it was a financial decision because he was just like, I just needed the money. Yeah, which is, um,
0: you know, it's kind of an astonishing admission from, like, a, a movie star, like a bona fide movie star. But, yeah, um, yeah, like, Pellin and I, like, we talked briefly about it. We were just, like, chatting and we were like... I guess once you get to a certain level of fame and status and celebrity, there's probably some feeling of having to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses are like
1: the multi millionaire, yeah. billionaire, you know, celebrities yeah. living yeah. On, in your same like gated community. And like every single movie that you make is a gamble. Yeah. Like you're essentially you're essentially a, a kind of like an investment banker where you have to make a good deal, or you have to make a good call. Otherwise, you're fucked and you lose respect from your peers and yeah there's nothing more depressing than the the decline of a star like and everyone's fascinated by watching Mm -hmm. it but this is obviously like i think with bruce willis it's especially sad because it's outside the realm of his control due to his health yeah Um, and i
0: think some people are even questioning like you know if it's been kind of an open secret for years like who then has been pressuring or encouraging him or you know making him or maybe it was of his own volition i don't know
1: um to
0: keep doing this work having to go to set to to do this work that is clearly it's quite difficult when he is at an age in a sort of health state where
1: maybe be better for him to rest um yeah i don't know i mean he is i don't know either i mean it could be pressure or it could be the fact that he's a proud man, yeah. Like that maybe wants to wanted keep to doing keep doing what doing he loves in whatever capacity. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Um. I'll say one more
0: quote from the L. A. Times article that really got to me. But this uh, production supervisor on a film he was on. So this person, Terry Martin, was telling the Times about Bruce Willis. He said he he just looks so lost, and he would say, "I'll do my best," and he always tried his best. So yeah. that makes me. Think even more oh, fondly Willis, of
1: of Bruce Willis. Yeah,
0: but yeah, man. yeah. What what are some of your favorites
1: from his career throughout his years, Pelin? Oh man, I mean, just to like memorialize like this guy hasn't died.
0: Like, yeah, he's alive. He's alive, alive and hopefully he's doing alive. well. Yeah,
1: like he's still so young. Like he's sixty seven. I think the reason why we wanted to memorialize his career is because he's so important to us growing up. Like truly, I think what we were talking about you know off when we weren't recording yet was how our parents know his name which is saying a lot for immigrant parents dude
0: yeah these one of basically three actors i think my mom is familiar with yeah she she knows brad pitt she knows tom cruise she knows Bruce Willis yeah. and her, you know, American pop culture knowledge sort of ends there, yeah, uh, in set in the 90s. Some, yeah, Julia sometime.
1: Roberts as well. My mom loves Julia Roberts.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. my mom, Julia Roberts, she likes Demi Moore, of yeah, course. She yeah. always talks about Demi Moore and Bruce Willis, yeah. you know, together as a package, which yeah. is iconic. But yeah. yeah, it's a real sense of like growing up with him. He was the biggest kind of movie star, yeah. um, yeah, an international movie star in a way that. And and the, a lot of the films he was in, you know, action, things like that. Like Oh, yeah, yeah, dads loved him. Dads, like people who, even if there's a language barrier, they could watch something he was in, they would still understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um So that's sort of the significance
1: that I guess he had in mind yeah. in, in our childhood, like, yeah. like growing up. Um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't really like a big diehard fan. I don't think... I even remember that film anymore. I watched it so long ago. And I know that's incredibly important, especially for his career, because it really cemented him as, you know, I guess like a, in in some sense of the word, like a Peter Falk character of like the guy that does the job and has like charisma, but he also like knows how to like make fun of himself or like he has like some kind of like suave air and swagger about him that he doesn't really give a shit. And that's, Mm -hmm. it's perfect. Like that's who he is. And he did that so well, but I mean, I, I feel like the, the performance I think about when I think of action Bruce Willis is the fifth element for me. So mm. that's one of my favorites. I never watched that. You haven't no. seen it? Oh no. my God, it's <laughs> such a moment. Oh my God, Jenny, please. <laughs> Don't kill me, babes. Come on. All right. Uh, How about you? Definitely his most iconic film
0: to me is The Sixth Sense. Oh yeah. Maybe because that's the only one I'm like actually cognizant of having watched uh, yeah. multiple times. Yep um but yeah. yeah he was just he was such a warm
1: character and ah, i think acting uh, too like it wasn't yeah. just action it was like full-on emotional acting yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: there there was depth to that it really made me you know like this guy yeah. and i i guess i kind of projected that onto his like uh personal self as well yeah, but sure. who knows yeah but definitely the sixth sense is a is a big contender for me yeah uh another one from more recent years is moonrise kingdom mm. uh which is i think i remember at the time like maybe people were a little surprised to see someone like bruce willis in a wes anderson film but you know he was great in it he doesn't even like stick out as like a a sore thumb in, in a ross anderson film like he really yeah. fit, fit in very well
1: and i'm glad he was able to take in a project like that. Yeah. yeah for um, sure. Yeah. I'm, what I'm, about you, Palin? I mean, I'm I'm a huge... You know, when you get to be a big of a star, as he was, especially in the peak of his stardom, mm-hmm. um, cameos, bro. Cameos were a uh, lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> he had God. so many cameos. He had so many cameos. And the, the top two for me are uh, The Player, uh, one of the best mm-hmm. films about Hollywood in general. Uh, he played himself in that. <laughs> um but then obviously Ocean's 12, like he played himself in Ocean's 12 mm. as well. And that whole bit in that film is one of my favorite things. Um, yeah. yeah. I really like that conceit that they they pulled off, which is
0: not the easiest thing to do. No, it's not
1: easy at all. I remember watching it with my parents and they were really confused. They were like, wait... <laughs> <laughs> because it's also julia roberts everyone's mistaken yeah, her to be yeah. julia roberts and i was like what is going on and i was She's like, like isn't she
0: julia roberts <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> don't worry about it mom um
0: oceans 11 oceans 12 like also big uh immigrant international parent films yeah
1: they love they love a heist movie bruv oh yeah yeah me too me yeah too. gotta love it but i think the main thing is just he has given us so much man like i think bruce willis is honestly it's very rare that we get to memorialize someone like before someone's career before they've died, and I think it's sad the way that it's played out. But I don't, I I don't come from a place of pity. I'm just sad that he can't keep doing what he's doing. Um, yeah, but he That's has so left cool. us like, so much, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I think it's also healthy when people get to retire. They uh, they get yeah. to make make the decision. Yeah, to dude, retire and enjoy whatever the next 10 20 years whatever in
1: their life and yeah i mean movie making uh being an actor it's still a job that you definitely yeah. th- need to hang it up <laughs> at some point you know like you need to relax and like try and live your life i wish i wish bruce willis bruce willis if you're listening to this <laughs> which of course you
0: are uh I, I wish you the best yeah and happy happy times with your family and your yeah, loved ones man. and yeah. yeah just just keep rolling on. you're, you're you did great work for us uh you've done so much for the culture bro. the world yeah
1: yeah and so we thank you for that yes exactly so if you have been watching anything that you think we should check out and you have no idea we're watching so much but please (laughs) let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or just at us or dm us at criticism is dead or one word on twitter and instagram For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, we thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please keep watching Pachinko, Atlanta winning time possibly
0: this winning what's time what's coming down the
1: pipeline possibly possibly maybe um, and tell a friend about us if you if you like hanging out with us maybe they'll like hanging out with us too mm. in the meantime please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts for five stars and we will see you next week bye Criticism is Dead is produced by Pellen Keskin Liu and Jenny Chijan our music is by Rika our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu